Welcome back to week four's episode of the Buckeye Blitz podcast. This week is special because we have breaking news. Um, the Ohio State-Maryland game has been canceled. Not postponed, but canceled. So we will obviously talk about that. We will talk about some of the things we saw in the Rutgers game this past weekend. Uh, some college football rundown. All things that... Not all things, but important things that happened in the last week and then uh the preview of the week to come um as it stands so with that being said i guess we'll we'll go right to the biggest news of the hour uh Mm. the buckeyes have actually maryland has canceled the game against ohio state ohio state did not cancel the game against maryland correct yeah the good news of it is that it's not ohio state's fault they did not have the um, the, any of their issues with COVID, knock on wood. Uh, that's a big knock on wood. We do not want that to happen to us. Um, and I believe it's um, nothing like serious necessarily COVID-wise with Maryland. It's not like any of their big players tested positive necessarily. It's just that they were having eight, some issues. Eight in their players. Facility. Mm-hmm. Eight players. Uh, any, any players of note that you've seen? Not, I don't think they, at least as far as I've seen, I don't think they've noted specific players, but I did see eight players did test positive. Yeah. But I, I do feel like they're better in college about keeping that kind of stuff in-house, you know, private. You know, not really releasing right. who the players are a ton unless you're someone big like Graham Mertz or Trevor Lawrence. Um, even Wisconsin, they released some more of their players, but um, it still seems like they're the ones that we got the most information on, on who was – tested positive uh, compared to other teams. But um, that's the good news that it was not Ohio State's fault, but obviously the bad news uh, could not be worse uh, than having a game canceled, especially when you have a season of only eight games in a regular season. It's really sad not to get to watch Ohio State play again this weekend. Um, we waited forever, and then now we have another week of no Buckeye football. Sad face. Yeah, um, and I was actually pretty excited about this game this week. I felt yeah. like Maryland might have been might have been the best team we've played so far, um, mm. and they've been kind of hot recently. And uh, I thought it would really be interesting to see Tua, mini Tua. I think that's what I settled on. I I, I went between uh, Tua Junior, uh, Tua the second, Tua's brother, and I I think I'm settling on mini Tua now. I think that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna sit. But I was excited okay. to see. Mini- mini to a play this week and uh yeah it really sucks i mean i don't there's not really a whole lot to say about it because we didn't even play a game you know mm. so like uh go, real quick on the the mini batua thing actually i was sure. like, gonna look at it for a second because i was curious uh because i thought uh talia his brother to his brother was actually bigger a little bit but He's actually one inch shorter, so I guess the mini Tua thing works. <laughs> literally, literally, mini Tua. tua. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, but it's, I'm it's excited for the game too, just because I feel like OSU. Um, the big, I think that the biggest takeaway for me from the Rutgers game, for one, like just kind of going into that a little bit too, but just that we've been kind of playing soft lately. You know, we've been kind of playing easy letting off of the gas in going into the second half. And I was kind of hoping Maryland would give us a better test. So that way we play a full game, four quarters, tough game. Um, I mean, 
we've barely even taken out Justin Fields in any game, and yet we're three games into the season. Um, and that's very strange for an OSU high-paced offense that we have. So maybe it's a bad thing because of that, but maybe it's also a good thing. Maybe we just needed a week to refocus and look back at things, you know, get that uh, chip on our shoulder that we should have had. Um, I really thought we were going to be just smoking teams after having our season delayed, being mad about that, um, how we were kind of treated with the whole Big Ten. Um, and then going coming off that heartbreaking loss that we had last season, I thought that this team would kind of be playing more with a, a vengeance, you know, uh, thirst for blood. And that's not really happened at all this year. Um, and I think Rutgers was like a perfect example of that. Um, even like Penn State was kind of bad in that aspect where we went up big in the beginning and then we just kind of coasted to the wind rather than continuing to dominate. Um, and that was like Rutgers. That, I mean, that was the closest game we've ever played against Rutgers in the entire time we've ever played Rutgers. Right. Yeah, I was going to say it, it definitely wasn't uh, the same old Rutgers team. Uh, but with, with that being said, what about quick, quick note on Ohio State. Um, you know, I, Ohio State's in the top four. You know, they're in, they're in the – if CFP were to end the day, they'd be in the playoffs, right? Um, so the only way Ohio State's ever going to get knocked out of the CFP is if they lose a game. So I yeah. think that Ryan Day is – I mean, the, the contrast between the first half of Ohio State Buckeyes and the second half of Ohio State Buckeyes is huge. I think Ryan Day is trying to get us out to a fast, large lead, which he has in almost every game except Nebraska – uh, we started off a little slow, but at halftime, we did have a, a significant lead. And then he doesn't care about ending the game strong because we're going to be there. We're going to be there as long as we win the game. We don't really want to get too many guys hurt, I, which I guess there's a little hole in my argument with leaving Justin Fields in so long as they do. But they don't want to get guys hurt. They don't want to show the playbook. You know, they, they just want to go move on to the next one because if we win, we're in. You know, we just got to keep on winning. I think Brian Day knows that. But with that being said, Obviously, I would like to beat Rutgers by 65 instead of beating them by 20-something. Yeah, I, I agree with your point to some degree, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be devil's advocate on that as well. And uh, one thing that Ryan Day has like really been big on this week uh, in his press conferences has been saying how disappointed he's actually been in our second-half team. He's been actually a little bit like – like you could tell the anger in his voice, how upset he's been with how we've been playing in the second half. And I mean, obviously some of that is on him, you know, like he is the head coach, how we put like the motivation and the uh, level of degree where like the, of aggressiveness, I guess you could say we play in a game does come on to him, not just the players. So I think he needs to take a look in the mirror as well. But I, I think that when it comes to college football versus the NFL, in college football, everyone's so young. So every rep is super important, you know, right. um, in the NFL, you can miss a couple games, come back and you're the same exact player, you know, uh, where um, in college football, it's super important what you're getting. And I think that that's a big thing too, because having that big lead, one gives you that confidence um, and two allows those people to play that would not normally play. So that way that you can build your depth and that's super important. I mean, you look at, um, our 2014 national championship team. Uh, Cardell did was obviously not really playing until he had to start from all the injuries, but because we were winning big in some of those games, he got some reps. Um, and even then he wasn't getting as much. Uh, so 
I don't know. I think that it's just really important, especially with Justin Fields leaving after this year, most likely. I would like to see Jack Miller and CJ Stroud get some more playing time just so that way they're not going in cold the next season. Um, I don't know. I guess it's just my take. Well, I agree. It doesn't make a huge difference no matter what, as long as we win every game, whether it's by one point or a million points, as long as we win every game, we're going to the college football playoffs, you know? Right. So as long as we're winning, it's okay. I'm not going to be worried about it, but I just think that playing that second half is going to be super important when we're playing good teams like Clemson, Alabama, and Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to win a game by a million points. That would be, that would be pretty cool, but it would be interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, let's, let's hop into this Rutgers game. We're kind of, kind of talking about it and uh, let's just hear some of what your opinion on it. Um, I wrote down some notes, but we can obviously go wherever you feel is necessary. But uh, my initial reaction was my, my true initial reaction was uh, Greg Schiano, man. He, he brought out all the stops, very first play of the game uh, and, and multiple times throughout the game, trick plays. I mean, mm-hmm. the very first play, the kickoff, uh, which is a really cool play. Um, I think, you know, where they field it on one side, throw it across the other side of the field. Yeah. Um, I, I love that play. Uh, you, you see it maybe like once or twice a year in college football, and um, it, it really worked out. Not – they obviously didn't score off it, but I thought it worked out fairly well for them. But anyways, yeah. uh, this guy, he came to play. They you know, in the NFL game this week too, didn't they? Did they? I, I forgot I, what teams did, but I think so. Yeah, well, they're taking out of the old old Greg Shiano's book. Um, yeah. <laughs> no. But I I love seeing that kind of stuff. And, like, I mean, you're Rutgers. You've lost all – every single matchup you've had against Ohio State by – you've dominated. You've been dominated every game. Greg Shiano obviously used to coach for Ohio State. And he knows. He knows that they're not going to win this game unless they really bring their A game. And um, I re- I love seeing that out of a Rutgers team is like, dude, like they were ready to play, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the trick plays and they had stuff up their sleeve. Um, and that was my, that was my first initial reaction from the game was the, the, the amount of uh, time and effort he probably put in the trick plays this week. Yeah. I thought it was uh, really interesting to see. I didn't expect that. Um, and it was, something that uh, a lot of people I saw talking about it where um, they just really went badly to have any chance of being Ohio state. Um, and I, but obviously when you think about it, it didn't make much of a difference in the game. And I don't think Greg Shiano really thought it was going to make a difference in whether they won the game or not. Um, because I, I guess in, I haven't really watched Rutgers as much uh, besides this game, but apparently they've actually been playing like trick plays a lot in even their first two games, which is kind of interesting so my question to you is, do you think that it's just that's how Greg Shiano coaches? Or do you think that because this team that he has right now, with it being his first year, is mostly transfers, and he's trying to show to possible recruits that he's trying to get that no matter who we're playing, I'm going to pull all the stops to try and give us the best chance to win? You know, because Rutgers is such a lower team on the totem pole in the big 10. So he doesn't really get many recruits. New York doesn't have a really right. good Jersey. New York doesn't have a good football uh, farm system, I guess you would call it. So do you think that there's a chance that he's just trying to say like, uh, these are transfers. They just need to get some highlights in there. We'll help them out for their future. While we, this also helps us out as well. 
Yeah, that's a really good question, honestly. And I, I hadn't even thought about that. But now that you say that, I think there's different kinds of trick plays. Um, I think there's gimmicks, you know, like real, real gimmicky plays and like gadget plays that like, you know, they're not going to work like the triple reverse. I think like the, like the Browns run a lot of gadget, like gimmicky trick plays, but it seemed like the trick plays that Shiano was running were like genuinely, like genuinely well-schemed trick plays, you know, like they took, it took a weakness of the defense and it used it at, to it, it's an advantage in a play, you know? Um, so I, I mean, I think if, as far as I'm concerned, that should, that should be how he coaches, you know, it, yeah. it to me, it seemed like it was well thought out and, um, again, using disadvantages to your advantage. So, um, it might be a little bit of both though. I, I can't, I can't say obviously, but, and I truly wasn't old enough really to know how Shiano coached in his first stint with Rutgers. But um, I mean, I, like I said, I like to see it. Um, I didn't feel like they were very gimmicky. I thought they were well thought out and they, they, a lot of them executed fairly well. Yeah. Um, so going into the, continuing the, the trick play conversation, um, OSU kind of also had a trick play uh, uh, that they ran. Uh, they had the punt, the fake punt where they did a direct snap to the steel chambers, gained about like yes, 30 yards, I think. He yes, fumbled sir. it, but we recovered it. <laughs> um, so it worked yeah. out okay. But I was kind of shocked by that just because usually OSU in just top teams, usually against a team that they're probably going to win, uh, against in games that they're probably going to win, they try to save those kind of trick plays. So that way, it's more of a surprise when they go into big games. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? I saw some people were had mixed feelings, you know, uh, should we have ran that? Uh, was it a good thing? What do you think? So I, I don't know the specific number, but I feel like we've seen a fairly decent amount of fake punts in Ryan Day's uh, his time as head coach with Ohio State. Do you feel the same way? I feel the same way, and I I don't I almost wonder if it's uh, maybe my brain's just blending with Urban Meyer a little bit too because Urban had a ton towards the end mm-hmm. of his tenure, uh, but Ryan Day has been a lot more successful with his uh, trick plays than Urban Meyer has been. He Urban had a lot of unsuccessful big points, right. uh, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, I, I I it's really hard to say because it's not like. I, I, it wasn't, again, it wasn't very gimmicky. It was just, it, it might even been a hot route, you know? They might have mm. just let the middle of the field open and, and maybe Drew Chrisman or somebody saw something and decided to, to change it up. So I don't know. I think that's really hard to say, but I, 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 I for one, really like the fake punt, you know? Give yeah. yourself a chance um, to make a big play, you know? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's really giving away too much, especially that steel chambers play like dude, a direct snap to the, the offset, like protect, like the personal protector. I think that's what they call it. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's not game defining stuff. I mean, that's one of the most basic, you know, punt fake punts that there is. So I don't think they're really giving yeah. away too much with that. Yeah. So um, that was kind of my first thought on it too. Uh, someone texted me after that was like what the heck why would we do that you know like save the trick plays for the big mm-hmm. games so that it's not they can't prepare for those kind of things or not seeing them come um but when i think back to the most recent uh fake punt 
that I can think of for Ryan Day was in the Big Ten championship game against Wisconsin this past year. You know, we were losing. We we were losing all momentum. We had mm-hmm. it was looking really bad for Ohio State. Um, and then all of a sudden, Ryan Day on fourth down, he comes out the punt. I'm like, dang, this is like coming to an end here. You know, this is not looking good. We're right. punting on fourth down, not great. And he, no one sees it coming, and he goes the fake punt. And we just, just barely get the first down, I believe. Um, and that one, obviously, still not gimmicky. You know, it was kind of like, they give us a chance. We need, we need the momentum, you know, and it sparked something for us. You know, it didn't, we, I don't think we ended up scoring on that drive, but it still gave us some more life. Was that a you know, Drew Christman pass? Yeah, I think it was a pass by Drew Christman. Yeah. I think so. Um, if not, I think Drew Christman ran it, if anything. I know it was involving Drew Christman. Right. Um, I doubt he ran it, though. <laughs> yeah. Where with this one? Well, I don't know. Kind of he- Heisman candidate. Heisman candidate with Drew Christman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with this one, it felt like it looked like there was just kind of that hole, and they just took advantage of that. You know, it was just like, right. hey, they're playing this wide open. Why not take it? Because it wasn't like we made like amazing blocks to make this huge hole. It just mm-hmm. seemed like it worked out in our favor. Let's go for it. I, I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm sure you probably did something similar to this in high school as well. But even in high school, when when we were on special teams, uh, like our coach would tell us, like, "Hey, this is the play call." But if you see this, then you can change the call by saying blue instead of mm-hmm. red, you know, like your cadence would be like red 18. And that's how you would hike the ball to the, the punter. But if you see this, then you can change it to blue 42, you know? Yeah. And I, and 100%. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if, they, if that's what exactly what happened was like steel chamber saw something. He's probably the, like I said, the up man, he's probably calling the cadence out. He sees something, he changes it. Because Ryan Day told them, if if you see something, take it, and that's probably what happened. So, yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I definitely don't hate it at all. I'm, I like I said, I'm here for the fake puns. No, I agree. It, it was fun, at least. It was something uh, fun to see. Um, but enough talking about trick plays. Uh, that was not all the Rutgers game was. Uh, the biggest thing I think was um, Justin Fields continues to be on fire really building his Heisman case, even though the Maryland uh, game getting canceled probably will hurt his case a little bit, just having another game that he does not get to play in, unfortunately does not help him. Um, But this man has been going off, uh, continues to be even better than last year. And actually, uh, funny enough, just today uh, on ESPN, I believe it was, Mel Kuyper was talking about how there's a legit chance he could even – challenge Trevor Lawrence for that first overall spot coming up in the draft because Trevor, uh, Justin Fields has been so phenomenal this year. Yeah. And, and looking at the numbers right here, Justin Fields, 13 total TDs, 11, 11 incompletions. Yes. That, that is just insane. I remember watching this Rutgers game and every time there was an incompletion, I think there was like three or four of them. I was like, mm. damn, you know, it's, it's not, it, it was like, it's like if I was watching the Browns game, it was like, oh, whatever, incompletion. But it's like with a Justin Fields incompletion, it felt like an interception almost. You know, I was like, <laughs> dang, like this really sucks. He threw an, he threw two. We had one three and out, I think, this year. And mm. it was because he threw two incompletions in one drive against Rutgers. And I was like, damn, like is our season ruined? Like dude had two yeah. incompletions, <laughs> but – yeah, and I think it says, like, you wrote it down here. He was on pace to finish with the best completion percentage of all time. 
I think he's right around 87% right now, which is absolutely bizarre. He's at 86.3%, I think it is. Right. And and he probably wouldn't continue that in a normal season. But yeah. as of now, I mean, the rest of our season is not we – don't, we don't really face the hardest teams uh, coming up. So he might say above 80, which is literally insane, uh, and the best completion percentage in the career all time. Um, and I think he was above 70 last year, pretty close to it anyway. So, um, 70 is incredible. So if you're, you'll probably end up somewhere mid seventies, which is, which is very impressive. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was looking at like all time stats and I was trying to see, cause it was like, no one really talked about it at all, but I just happened to notice that when I was just trying to learn some facts about college football in general, I was like, wait a second, I think Justin Fields is doing better than that. You know, and the stat was, uh, a minimum of 150 attempts in a season. If he continues his pace of about 20, uh, I think his average is like 22 attempts per game. Mm-hmm. That would put him at 250 attempts for the season, I believe, something around there. So that's way above what he would need to have the minimum. So even in the shortened season, it's enough to put him at the possible record for the best percentage of all time in one season. Um, and then his career uh, is at about like 73%, I believe right now, uh, maybe a little bit lower than that. And I believe the career best is like 70.3. So he's already above that. And you would have to decline in his season to get to, uh, to not make that record, which would be tough. And I think that the interesting thing is that uh, some of his toughest games, Indiana, uh, we'll get to that a little bit later as well, but Indiana, um, has probably the best the best corners that he's going to play the rest of the season because even Michigan their biggest weakness is their corners so he'll probably be able to pass right. all over that. And then say you talk about him facing off against Clemson, Notre Dame, or Alabama in the CFP. Alabama pretty weak defense this year compared to normal. Clemson even weaker defense. Uh, they let Ian Brook, who decent quarterback, not a great quarterback though for Notre Dame, pass all over them. And then Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Let DJ only in his second start ever throw for more passing yards than Trevor Lawrence even has in his career. Like, right. So, pretty promising for him to do continue to do well. Probably will decline just because he's 86 is insane. Uh, that would like beat the like nine percent. No, it would beat it by like seven percent. So, probably likely that he'll decline. But even then, it's going to be an amazing season for him. Yeah, and I think a large part of that is because of our wide receivers being so good this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Those guys are always open, but I don't know, man. It's going to be really close. Cause, and also, there people might throw an asterisk on it just because of the shortened season. Like, yeah. he, he'll he'll beat the minimum minimum qualifications, but um, they're going to be like, oh well, he played Rutgers and blah blah blah, Nebraska, <laughs> but, you know. Uh, uh, it wasn't the, but, the same Big Ten as normal. Right. But I will definitely uh, look forward to tracking that the rest of the season, but I will not be looking forward to treating every incompletion like an, uh, like an interception. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I believe last year he finished with only two interceptions, one in the regular season and one against Clemson. So I'd be curious to see if he, he could be better. Yeah. He had two, uh, I think two against Clemson. Two, okay, so he finished with three, yeah. Three, I think, yeah, he finished with three, but uh, which is literally insane. Like, it, it's actually insane. And we, we got so lucky with him, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing of note of him because 
I think he kind of gets not talked about as much because his stat line isn't as like uh, impressive when you think of what people look for. You know, they look for the big passing touch, like the uh, high passing touchdown amounts and high passing yards, but he doesn't do that as much. He just is super efficient with his passes. You know, he does what he needs to do. He, and then we run a lot in the red zone. So that obviously hurts his stats, but it doesn't make him a worse player. I think that's why not a lot of people talk about him as much. And I almost feel like it hurts him a little bit in the Heisman case, because, you know, you have Mac Jones going off with the stats, but but everyone I think would agree. Justin Fields is the better quarterback. Yeah, you have guys like Mac Jones and Zach Wilson and uh, Kyle, Kyle Trask. Trask. Yeah, yeah, Kyle Trask. Trash, Kyle Trask. <laughs> He's um, not trash. <laughs> no. Uh, and obviously Trevor Lawrence. But, yeah, I, I would be interested. Uh, we were talking about that last night. And is there any is there any world you could see where Fields goes number one overall? Um, unfortunately, I do not. Trevor Lawrence has been like the savior, the savior yeah. of college football for the last three years. It seems like um, it would have to be a ballsy move to go for Fields, even though he probably is uh, worthy of like in any. If it was a different year, um, not last year, Joe Burrow would go over Trevor Lawrence even. But say right. it was next year or the year before Joe Burrow, I could see him going first overall. I think he would go first overall over to Kyler Murray. Yeah, and maybe. Baker. And and you're you're right. It's like, uh, it, it, you know, it's really bold to take. So like if you take Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence, and and Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence is tre- who he's supposed to be, like you look like an idiot forever. Even if Justin Fields is really good, you know, mm-hmm. or if you take Trevor Lawrence one and he doesn't pan out, it's okay because you're supposed to take him there, and he was supposed to be the guy. So yeah. I think he's for sure a Jet. Um, I I think. Uh, Justin Fields will probably be the second one taken off the board. I think Zach Wilson is going to fly up draft boards. He'll be three. Um, mm. And then it's it's a toss-up between Mac Jones, um, Kyle Trask, and uh, Trey Lance. Trey Lance, yep. Trey Lance. For the, who's going to be the next three, the order of the next three. But Yeah. Uh, mm. yeah. I think it's uh, one thing that hurts him is the problem with the – GMs and the owners in the NFL too, you know, I mean, you look at Stephen Ace, I know he's not a GM or an owner, but just, they look kind of the same, like, I think it's kind of similar with, they thought Dwayne Haskins was a running quarterback. Like, uh, right. I think that kind of hurts Justin Fields is they think that he's not an NFL quarterback where they love Trevor Lawrence because he like, he just fits the, the, the mold of like, he's six, six, he's a big guy. He's got a big arm. Uh, yeah. But I think that's kind of almost hurts. Justin Fields in that aspect too, because they just assume he's a running quarterback and maybe I'm insinuating that there's some racial issues, but I think everyone in the NFL would even agree that that, that, that exists. And we're not yeah. going to, we're not trying to talk about that right now, but just something to of note. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. And it's like, cause you think about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, totally different styles, you know, mm. like Trevor Lawrence gives you like, Peyton Manning vibes, but he can definitely move a little bit better. So Andrew yeah. Luck, maybe. Mm. Um, but whereas like Justin feels like reminds me of like so much like Russell Wilson, you know, super I efficient, so too. Yeah. super efficient, big, like big lower body. He's, but he's six, four. So he's much taller than Russ or than Russ, mm. like big, big lower body can move out of pocket and make plays just like insanely efficient. Um, 
and it's like, who do you, I mean, who are you going to take Andrew Luck or Russell Wilson? You know, obviously they're not those guys, but it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a win-win, you know? Mm. Um, all right. I guess enough with the NFL talk, uh, even though it's a big deal, just because OSU has such a big uh, influence on the NFL. Um, but one thing that uh, was really something I took away from the game was our offensive line play. Um, Tackle-wise, Munford and Petit Ferrer have been really solid. Um, Petit Ferrer has actually been probably one of our better linemen. Um, but the inside of the offensive line, guards and center, between um, – Myers, uh, Wyatt Davis, and Harry, uh, kind of a little shaky, um, not going to lie. Um, we've played some pretty poor defensive lines, except you could maybe say uh, Penn State. You know, they do have some talent on their defensive line. And yet, almost every game we've been outplayed just because of the fact that, like, one, our running game hasn't been great. And yes, you can say that the running backs aren't as good as J.K. Dobbins, but it does all start with the offensive line. Two, you just look at the fact that there's been more, uh, more sacks and tackles for losses by Rutgers in that game and by Rutgers. I mean, no, no, Nebraska in that game and then Rutgers, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that should not be happening when we have a much more dominant defensive line than theirs and should have a much more often, better offensive line. Um, that was something that I was gonna, I thought was gonna be our stronger unit this year, and maybe I'm just wrong and I'm not giving them enough credit, but they really haven't looked as great in my opinion. Yeah, and I I remember hearing a story about Harry Miller, um, and like how he had played super well, um, in the first two games, kind of came out of nowhere, kind of guy. Um, yeah. And then this and then this week against Rutgers, he kind of got like super exposed. Um, it did. Go ahead. I was just going to, I think like there was one series where he had like two penalties and then gave up a sack, like all in one series. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's really hard to say because Harry Miller is a, a first year starter, correct? He is him and uh, Nicholas Petit for Right. So, Maybe I mean I'm definitely not the lineman expert. I think you definitely have me, definitely have me beat on that. So I, I honestly can't even. I, I almost rarely ever watch the offensive line during a play. Um, so if you, I mean, if you think there's concern there, then I definitely believe you. But as far as what I know, um, definitely not the most knowledgeable person. I think my concern is just the fact that there was higher expectations. I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Do you think it's still a unit that's trying to mesh together, though? Uh, yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I, I think that Wyatt Davis uh, and Petit Freer, it's obviously their first time playing together, and then Mumford and Harry Miller, first time playing together. You know you have pairs on each side of the line that um, I don't think people talk about it as much, but a tackle-guard combination is very important. You know, like, you're, like you have to be very in sync talking about who you're going to be guarding, who's working up to the second level and not enough people talk about that. I mean, like Joe Thomas talks about that a lot with how important it was to have Batonio next to him when he was with the Browns and how helpful that was in him playing well. Um, and always having a good solid guard next to him. 
um, and how it, de- who he had next to him depended on how good of a season he was having. Um, and I think that that's true. You know, they're kind of still getting used to each other. Um, and I honestly, I think that having this week off will be helpful for them as well. Yeah, that's, that was great analysis there. <laughs> Thanks. I think that, that is true. I mean, they have a whole extra week to work on it. So, um, I'll, you know what I will do? I will be better next week. I will, I mean, two weeks, I will be better. I will watch Ohio State's line more uh, intently and in, in trying to figure okay. out what's going on so I can bring better analysis to the conversation. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, I, I guess. You'll have to wait uh, two weeks by then, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll watch some film or something in the, in the meantime. Uh, it re- really quickly, because we're kind of we're kind of dragging a little bit on this record stuff. But um, quick, quick. Real quick answer out of you. So everybody's like saying Ohio State, uh, they, they played somewhat poorly against Rutgers. I know we beat them by 20 something, but they didn't cover the spread, um, which is disappointing, definitely for a lot of people. Um, do you think it's a concern more of Ohio State or do you think like truly Rutgers is better than they had been in the past? And, um, and I, I guess to, to add on that, like, could you see Rutgers becoming more, more of a competition in the future? Yeah, um, I think yeah, I think it's definitely a combination of both. I think it's a little bit more Rutgers getting better than OSU being a concern. Um, I think partially, uh, we already talked about it. OSU is kind of a little bit concerned just because they've been giving leeway in the second half. You know, um, I mean the fact that Ohio State, their offensive line, for example, they played every single snap on offense except for one single snap. Mm-hmm. That like that's a little bit of a concern, especially in a game against Rutgers. You know. Um, every year we've, uh, this, we played them seven times, seven years straight, and we beat them by an average of 46 and a half points, <laughs> you know? So I think it's a little bit concerning because this is supposed to be one of our best teams in that right. seven year stretch. So you would think that that gap would just be continuing, even if Rutgers did get better, we did too. So you would think that that gap would continue or at least be closer to that gap. But I also do think Rutgers is getting better. Um, Shiano has kind of been starting to show that culture. You know, they beat Michigan State. They even played Indiana a little bit closer than, uh, I mean, yes, it was a little bit towards the end of that game they got closer. But Indiana still didn't look great against Rutgers after being a number 10 ranked team in the country. You would not have expected that game for them. Um, And Rutgers does have a lot of transfers, which helps a lot. I think that Rutgers definitely has a chance of continuing to improve in the big 10. I don't think they'll ever be near the top of the big 10, just because they don't have the same like name recognition um, that the other teams in the big 10 do. Uh, That definitely hurts them. But I do think that they can be more like reach the middle of the pack, even though they've been like dead last or one step up in the big 10 ever since they've joined. Yeah. I'm actually kind of excited because I I'm pretty confident they'll never be on Ohio state's level. I think that's pretty fair to say. So it's actually kind of exciting to see Rutgers play well and in years in normal years, like that could be a huge boost to Ohio state's resume. Yeah, I agree. It won't be such a uh, scratch off W as it usually is, you know, right. it's almost a little scary though, too. Hopefully they don't end up being a trap game. Like, Purdue and Iowa have been in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, real quickly, uh, 2019 versus 2020 Buckeyes. Tell me 
some things that the 2020 Buckeyes are better at and some things that the 2020 Buckeyes are worse at? Um, I mean, we've talked about it every single week. One thing is the running game. Uh, I did not expect uh, us to be more of a pass-heavy team than running, especially in the three games that we have played so far. Um, but I think one thing that we have done better is passing. <laughs> um, yeah. This is supposed to be a receiving group that was much younger and less talented uh, just because of their, their young age. They will even, they're, they're more talented as freshmen, definitely. Um, right. But not expect this passing threat to be as good as it is. Um, so I, I think the defense is still uh, working its way out. So I don't want to say anything about the defense yet necessarily. So I'm looking at the passing in the running game and that's, that's how I feel. Yeah, I would say Justin Fields is better in this year's version. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Which helps uh, with the passing. Yeah, yep. I would say <laughs> Justin Fields, the receivers are better, um, which is hard to believe, but they are. Um, mm. But I, w- I will say D-line is significantly uh, not as good in my opinion. But Agreed. That's, I think that's, that's that'll be that a, a, Yeah, no, exactly. But that's, <laughs> a, that's still part of the argument. You know, you have to consider exactly. that. Yeah. Um, I think that'll be a good question to kind of keep on asking ourselves, uh, as the season goes along, like how do these guys stack up? I do think the 2019 Buckeyes are probably favored in a game. If they do play, um, mm-hmm. I will say probably three and a half points or so though. So it's still close. Yeah. Justin Fields, 2020 Justin Fields, uh, covers a lot of that gap error there. Uh, I agree. But, uh, and I think that's why that's the biggest difference in people still picking us as the better team in playoff like championship odds compared to last year. You know, our defense was significantly better last year and that's super important, but also in college football, you can win with just having a, a stellar offense. Right. You, you have a guy that can go win us games and that's, yeah, that's really important. All right. Let's transition into some of the stuff that happened this weekend. Um, our college football rundown. Um, I will let you begin. Uh, what, what do you want to talk about first? Yeah, uh, this this past weekend was probably the biggest uh, impact on the entire season we've had so far. Um, the other big games, OSU, Penn State, did not end up being as big of an impact on the season as it expected to be. And Alabama, Georgia, um, also another game that did not end up being as great as it is. And that's specifically because of how Georgia played this week. But I want to start with Notre Dame beating Clemson. Um, I think everyone would agree that's the biggest thing that happened and probably the biggest thing of the season. It was the most watched game of the entire season so far. Um, Notre real Dame, quick on that. Real quick on that. I did see that that was potentially inflated because people were waiting, seriously, waiting to turn on SNL, uh, which was I, right after. I agree with that. And I think that's actually kind of interesting just because SNL numbers have gone down lately. But when, when you have Dave Chappelle and it's after the election, it's a pretty deal <laughs> right um, so i did i did see that potentially those numbers for the notre dame game uh were slightly inflated but continue act like i i, 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 agree, like I, I agree with that point um but yeah notre dame being clemson uh i think it's I, I don't think there's any asterisk on that game like some people might try to put on there because trevor lawrence was on the sideline um trevor lawrence on the sideline even though he was not so allowed to game still somehow on the sideline but i guess protocols since he tested negative he's allowed to be on the sideline didn't like that the one time like the first time he's on camera he's taking his mask off to talk to people (laughs) 
not a good look. <laughs> not not a good yeah. look at all. Especially with the fact that I think we can both attest to the fact that you can still hear each other when you have masks on. Yep. Um, but uh, Notre Dame uh, played not a uh, much better game than anyone probably would have expected. Um, I Clemson was favored in that game, so it was to some degree an upset. And they put their name at the top of the list with Alabama and OSU as title contenders. You know, they jumped to OSU to be number two now. Um, and DJ Uwagalele, I believe that's as close as I'm going to get with that name. <laughs> I think I think you're like slightly off at the end. I think it's. I think so too. I, I need to hear it one more time. Or Lili or something. Yeah, but yes, go ahead. Uwagalele. Sure. No, I think that was right, but go ahead. Okay. So I think the, um, he he showed up and he proved that the difference between him and Trevor Lawrence is honestly probably a lot slimmer than anyone would have expected. Uh, He, like I said earlier, he had the more passing yards than Trevor Lawrence has ever had, even in a game, which is shocking to know. Obviously having the double overtime helps a little bit. Um, but he stepped up and he played, and that's why I think there's no asterisk on that game. Notre Dame won that game, and they deserved that win. So I, I disagree with you. Um, not that there should be an asterisk, but I do think that if Trevor Lawrence plays that game, Clemson wins. Um, it's only his second career start, DJ's that is. Um, I don't know. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the best it, – it is 1A and 1B best quarterback in college football, you know. That's like losing your your starting pitcher, you know, and and you have two yeah. aces. But like your your ace is your ace, you know. It's just like I don't know. I do think Clemson wins that game if, if Trevor Lawrence plays. There's not a whole lot that Trevor Lawrence probably could have done better, but it's just like I just it, it's just one of those feelings, you know. It's like well, Trevor Lawrence is the guy, you know. Mm. Um, DJ, DJ played great. Uh, Notre Dame's as much as I hate to say it, played fine. <laughs> but uh, I guess I'm a huge Notre Dame hater, but um, I will say that uh, surprisingly they had a lot of fans there. And I think a, a lot of people saw at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe when uh, Trevor was talking about his mask, maybe he actually couldn't hear. <laughs> and uh, the funniest thing I saw coming out of that was uh, their president's comment. And there's a backstory to that that we will not go into because we won't don't want to get into politics. But I think it's pretty funny if you uh, look into that, look into the Notre Dame president. Um, if you want to talk about that offline, let me know. If you don't can't yeah. find it. Uh, yeah. But anyways, um, I was very shocked by that and uh, a little disappointed just because Notre Dame has had a couple outbreaks in the beginning of the season, so did not expect that to happen at all. Uh, oh. I thought they would be a little bit uh, stringy, stingier about their policies. Um, obviously you're not stopping your fans from getting on that field. You know, they, those few ushers they have are not going to be able to stop all those fans, but still probably could have had a lot less fans than that. <laughs> um, yeah. That was pretty ridiculous. The amount of fans yeah, over there. Definitely. Um, but they probably were giving away that, tickets after their COVID tests. Probably, <laughs> uh, <laughs> trying to get people to do it as a reward. Right. Um, Back, that but <laughs> I think that the biggest thing to uh, talk about was that it was we were very, uh, very happy to have a game like that. 
And I think that it just kind of goes to show that both of those teams are very beatable um, because none of them looked like amazing. They looked like championship contenders, definitely. But I think that they show that they are beatable. Um, even though Notre Dame did win and they're undefeated, it still showed that there's a way to beat them. And that's the fact that um, you can, I mean, winning it with the backup quarterback I and mean, almost winning it with the backup quarterback, taking just a double overtime shows that if you have a good scheme, you can still beat Notre Dame and Clemson just shows that their defense is very weak. Um, that's why I think that Trevor Lawrence doesn't make the difference is uh, having more players, better players on defense. That would have made the difference. But yeah, the biggest thing is that, most likely these two teams will play again in the ACC championship game. And that will be huge uh, for the future. If Notre Dame wins again, Clemson's out of the CFP. If Clemson wins, probably in the CFP. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, Moving on to the next game of the weekend, Florida uh, beating Georgia. That was a big game uh, for ranking purposes. Uh, Georgia was five and Florida was six. Uh, I think Florida was eight. Seven. But yeah. Eight, okay, yeah, something like that. Anyways, it was big for ranking implications. Florida beat the snot out of Georgia. They did. Uh, and Georgia had no chance except for the first like first half of the first quarter. <laughs> and Georgia's out, right? I mean, there's no chance Georgia comes back from this. 100%. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say I agree. And it, it kind of sucks in a little bit that Florida is a one-loss team. They look bad against Bama. Um but uh, it, it really screws with the, with the ranking, which is my next point. Um, how do we rank the guys out of the top four? You know, so I'm, I'm assuming uh, we probably have pretty similar top fours, but I'm curious on your five, six, seven uh, ranking there. Mm, I, I think that uh, whether, like, I agree, the top four would probably would agree on it. Um, they have it right, I would say, the AP does currently. Um, I, I think Notre Dame and Alabama both have looked better than OSU right now. So I'm not going to put any of my bias well, into that. Well, well I, the only thing I have to say against Notre Dame and, and I'm truly not trying to be biased because I don't like Notre Dame is that you can't beat Kentucky or whatever, 12 to seven, you know, um, mm. that, there's no such thing as a bad win, but that's pretty bad. You know, uh, yeah. you, can't, you, you can't beat Kentucky by five points. Was it Kentucky? I don't know. It might have been Kentucky. I think so. But you, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? It was Louisville, but yes. Louisville, yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like, either way, I think we have those are the top four that should be in there right now. Um, even though Clemson, with that one loss, still think that they should be at four, especially with Trevor Lawrence being out. Um, but I will say – uh, the biggest thing about that Florida win is the fact that um, not only did they look really good, but they kind of still have a really tough road to the CFP, even with this being a weird year, um, just because that loss um, was to Texas A&M and they looked bad against Texas A&M. That's what I meant. Um, and then yeah, you're okay though. No. Uh, and then Texas A&M got killed by Alabama. So right. if you're going to put someone in, it's probably going to be Texas A&M because they only have that one loss and it's to Alabama, the number one team in the country. Right. Where Florida's one loss is to Texas A&M's who needs to be above them because it just kind of proves that Florida, I mean, that, that win against Florida was better than it looked at the beginning. But the one thing that helps Florida is the fact that they have an easy schedule the rest of the season. And then they're set to play 
Alabama in this SEC championship game. If Florida beats Alabama, they're probably in. Um, no doubt. So that's going to be a really big game. Hmm? I, no doubt. If, if Florida beats Bama, they're no doubt in. Exactly, yeah. Um, but this is where my question is. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, I was going to say, like, where Texas A&M has looked good, they had a really big win against South Carolina this week. They still kind of have a tough schedule, so it's tough to predict what happens with them the rest of the season. But they're already out of the SEC championship game, which really hurts them. Um, so I guess where I would rank it is um, after – so five, I would probably say Texas A&M, mm-hmm. um, just because that Florida win against Georgia really helps them. And then I would say BYU, Cincy – no, I'll, I'll say Texas A&M, BYU, Florida, Cincy. BYU ahead of Florida. Yeah, just like, uh, but not CFP odds wise. I, I think like if they were to play each other, BYU is probably better. Then so Florida. I guess in that aspect, like I meant, sorry, if BYU and Florida played each other, I'd probably say Florida wins. Okay. Uh, yeah. But like just the fact that BYU has an undefeated record has played really well in those games and has looked better than Cincy. I think even though Cincy's blown out some teams, I think BYU still looks better than Cincy. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's just tough tough to tell with them not being power five teams that no one gives them credit. Right. Like, That's why I threw mm-hmm. them in there because obviously Texas A&M and Florida have really big wins, but they also have really big losses too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have teams like Cincy and BYU non-power five undefeated look really good in their game so far BYU has an elite quarterback we'll say elite yeah um and then since he has an elite we'll say elite defense they've given up mm-hmm. 12 points or something like that all year you know um, yeah so I'm just curious that like I'm just curious and this is a question to you does Cincy and and or BYU do they have a path at all to the CFP like, do you is there is there any possibility that they would could get in over Florida and Texas A and M, assuming that there isn't just complete chaos? So I think that the I think a lot have to happen. That's the problem, right? You know, because there's so much bias against the Group Five. Yeah, I, I could probably outline something to happen for them to for it to work. You know, like you have Pac-12 the winner being of the championship being a one loss team. They're out. Clemson loses again to Notre Dame. They're out. Mm-hmm. Texas A&M loses again this season. They're out. Florida loses to Alabama in, the, in this SEC championship game. They're out. That leaves an opening for the four seed to be BYU or Cincy. But then who do you pick? You right. know, like, how do you decide that? Uh, they both have about the same schedule wise who they've played. I guess the only reason you pick BYU is because they have the bigger name quarterbacks. Right. Like you sell more tickets that way of people watching the game. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I just think it's because, um, and and I talked about this on the pod last night, but how much do you think that not letting UCF in their year that they went undefeated plays into a BYU and a Cincy not getting in because uh, UCF, the year they went undefeated, they they played some really big games, won some really big games, and they destroyed Auburn in their their uh, bowl game, um, mm. showing that they were probably a deserving of a CFP spot. Uh, and 
do you think that the CFP committee moving forward um, kind of set a precedence there where they're like, all right, we're not going to let power five teams in pretty much no matter what. Or do you think they regretted that decision, not letting a power or a not, we're not going to let a non power five team in no matter what, or do you think they regretted the decision of not letting a non power five team in um, knowing how well, how good that team actually was? Yeah. Um, I think it's tough because even that season, they didn't rank Auburn very high. So maybe they just felt Auburn's not a very good team and UCF just played well against them. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember exactly who was in the, that, that top four. I believe actually it might've been the year OSU went in above UCF with that one loss and they lost 31 to nothing against Clemson. Yep. I believe so. So some might say that UCF was more deserving than Ohio state because of that. But I think it's just tough to tell, like, because, you know, it's what, what gives you the reasoning to say that UCF is better just because they have an undefeated record, you know, I mean, Boise state had undefeated seasons in the past with, I think like Kellen Moore had one and they didn't make the BCS championship game and they probably would have gotten killed if they did. Right. Um, but they were undefeated. So why wouldn't they? Well, because they just, they, we could tell that they weren't as good. Um, I, I think that like, so my, when, when I think about it, my fix, my, my idea, my thinking is that, so a lot of people have thrown out the six team CFP or the uh, eight team CFP. Um, I kind of like, the five-team CFP. Okay. And this might be interesting, but I kind of like the idea of um, you either put like that five seed is either the best group of five team or a fifth power five championship team if they're really good. Because that that's commonly does not happen. You know, it's kind of easy to throw that fifth person out. Um, but a lot of times that fifth team is pretty good. So it opens that chance where after the five top five teams, there's usually somewhat of a drop-off. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think six teams is tough, you know, cause then you have a buy and then that's just kind of weird. Um, but I kind of like, and five is weird too, because it's an odd number. Maybe you would have the buy, but my opinion is you do the top three teams. They're set, but the four versus five, they play each other. And then that team faces number one and then two and three is already set. And I only say that because in the years past that one versus four, has been god awful. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, uh, I believe, yeah, Clemson killing OSU. You have oh, Alabama killing Michigan State. Oklahoma getting killed a couple years. Notre Dame getting killed by Alabama. And so that one versus four is just a terrible game compared to the two versus three. The two versus three is always so much better. Well, if you add that extra game, then it's a little bit more fun. You know, you have the four versus five. It gives the group of five a chance to play. You know, and that, that, then you have potentially, uh, you have BYU or Cincy playing like Clemson, or, uh, Florida. They probably get killed, but it shuts BYU, uh, the group of five a little bit or something like that. Gives them a, you, you give them the chance at least. So, so historically, in, in your scenario, uh, these are the, these are the four versus five games. Ready? Uh, mm-hmm. The year Ohio State won. Uh, it would have been Ohio State versus Baylor. Uh, the next year it would have been Oklahoma versus Iowa. Um, 2016 would have been Washington versus Penn State. Um, 2017 would have been Alabama versus Ohio State. 
2018 would have been Oklahoma versus I can't find it unfortunately um and then 2019 it would have been Oklahoma versus somebody else as well but yeah I mean I think those are pretty good games there yeah I think that like just because like the four seed has never really been great except for OSU the first year Otherwise, like the four seed's been kind of terrible, so it just kind of gives that little bit more of an interest. Yeah, Bama, and I think the yeah, yeah, exactly. And Bama, um, so I, I think it's just like any like I think the one game alone that just sells that point is the Alabama OSU game. Anytime you can have that game happening, no matter how good those teams are, it's a huge sell. You know, um, I, I think it's just an idea. It maybe like gives a. Uh, because they're having such a trouble getting that idea of a 16 playoff or an 18 playoff to be sold. I don't know. It'd just be kind of interesting to see. I think so, it'd be fun. Um, LSU last year was the first one seed to win the CFP. That's crazy. It was four, four seed, two seed, two seed, four seed, two seed, one seed. And Alabama was the four seed that won? Ohio State and Alabama were both four seeds that won. Okay. And that's just different just because they're on another level. But there's never been a three seed that won. So maybe that made the three seeds cursed. Maybe we want to be a four seed or a two seed. Dang, not good luck for OSU for this year. <laughs> All right, we, we can move on here. Um, we can talk about Penn State and Michigan uh, really quickly, but you can take away on that one. Yeah, um, I mean, just of no, obviously, Penn State, Michigan both lost. Penn State first 0 3 season since like 1980 something, I believe, and maybe even longer than that. And then Michigan first time losing to Indiana since 1984 or something like that. Pretty crazy stats there. Right. Both of these teams look terrible compared to what the expectations were. Um, and then you look at the other side in the West, Northwestern now a top 25 team and sitting atop the West. And I mean, not a good look for us if we had to play Northwestern in the big 10 championship game. Uh, so I really hope Wisconsin can come back and get some wins going just yeah. to have it more interesting instead of OSU being in way above every other team in the big 10. But um, I think the biggest like thing of that, I mean, you know, James Franklin kind of a little bit still out there, the jury's still out there and whether people like him or not. I think Penn State's starting to dislike him more than the general public. Uh, but I think Jim Harbaugh, he's done. Yeah, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh are about jobs uh, at the end of the year. I think Jim Harbaugh more than James Franklin, yeah. but I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. I think James Franklin has done a relatively good job. Uh, obviously been somewhat of a disappointment when they played in big games, but – Jim Harbaugh is literally like has no excuse. Mm. He, he has lost. I think he's only won one game against a ranked opponent. I mean, I honestly don't even know what the what the fix is. I mean, they get good, they have good talent, and it's just they just do not develop players. But um, you know, if it were up to me, I would keep Jim Harbaugh forever. Sign, <laughs> give, give him a ten year yes. contract extension. I mean, I'm, I don't hate that. <laughs> it's so hard, though, because he obviously played at Michigan. Um, mm. And, like, how like how do you go about that? You know, it's 
Yeah. How do you, like, same thing like I'm with the Cavs and Larry Nance, you know, like Larry Nance hasn't been good in the last, he almost has never really been great, but mm. his dad played for the Cavs. His dad's a Hall of Famer for the Cavs. He's so deeply rooted in Cleveland and the Cavs. Like, how do you get rid of him almost? Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of the same with Jim Harbaugh. Um, in a way, he is Michigan. And uh, it's going to be kind of ugly, I think, uh, when when the breakup does happen. Yeah. I, I think, like, when I look at uh, Jim Harbaugh as a non uh, – without my bias, I think that my biggest thing always was how can you do better? You know, I kind of like what, – what's better than Jim Harbaugh? Right. You know, you're not going to find – yeah, you're not going to find someone on the street and say that they're better necessarily than what you had. But maybe that's kind of a blind opinion. You know, maybe we gave Jim Harbaugh so much more credit than he was deserving of. You know, he went to one Super Bowl and he went to another NFC championship game and everyone gave him so much credit as being this amazing coach because of that. Mm-hmm. But maybe he wasn't that good of a coach. You know, like he wasn't great for – like he wasn't phenomenal for Stanford. He never was able to – he lucked into Andrew Luck. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he just could never really get those big games, and he uh, never got over the hump with Stanford, even with having pretty good teams. He's a pretty solid recruiter, but he completely lost Ohio players. Mm-hmm. That was, like, the biggest reason that OSU and Michigan had such a good competition was because Michigan would take Ohio players, which is has one of the biggest – and a uh, group of recruits every year up there with Texas, California, and Florida. And um, he's just like, fundamentally, this team does not look great. You know, he has the talent, but they continue to play under their expectations. Right. And I think that it's not the talent that's lacking because they all go to the NFL and they play really well. It's the fundamentals, you know, um, why are there, why is their cornerback so bad this year? They have the, better talent than Michigan state and then Indiana. Right. Then they're playing terribly. And that's why I think that um, it comes on to the coaching. And then he's just been having like none of his players play up to what they're supposed to. And then you look at when he was at the 49ers, who, who was his offensive coordinator, who was defensive coordinator. Cause we all know that's super important. You know, Dan Quinn was a terrible coach, but he was winning in the Super Bowl just because of Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, well, his offensive coordinator was Greg Roman, who's currently the offensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, who has one of the best offenses in the country and had an amazing offense last year, one of the best offenses of all time. Wow. And then you have Vic Fangio as the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. Wait, how does Shannon play into that? Oh, I was just like showing that an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are super important to a team. Like you can win a lot of games with um, right. a great offense coordinator and defense coordinator, even if you have a bad head coach. And I was saying how Dan Quinn is, it was ended up being a terrible, yes. terrible head coach, but they still made it to the Super Bowl and were winning the Super Bowl because they had such a good offense coordinator with Kyle Shanahan. Got it. Okay. But they, um, they, they made Greg Dan Roman. Quinn look really good. They had Greg Roman and Vic Fangio. Yeah. Wow. When, when Jim Harbaugh was the coach of the 49ers. So, and that was when they went to the Super Bowl after those two coaches left team went poor, went downhill and Jim Harbaugh lost his job and then he ended up at Michigan and I think the last note is uh they pay Mich- like Jim Harbaugh so much money that you're at this point you're wasting the money you know get someone for cheaper that has the a better 
possibility of doing better. Um, you know, you have Luke Fickle out there, probably not going to happen because of his Ohio ties, but there's plenty of other people that are up and coming. I mean, <laughs> Urban Meyer started off at Bowling Green. You right. know, like there's people you can find that are going to be good. I mean, no one thought Ryan Day was going to be in the situation. Obviously, we got very lucky hiring him within the program, but I don't know. I, I think I defended him for too long for no reason. Yeah, Greg Roman also was the assistant head coach at Stanford, too. Just yeah, okay. just uh, I just looked that up, just figured that out. So you mm. definitely, you definitely have a point there. Yeah, I, I just started looking into it more, and it's kind of interesting to think about. For sure. All right, let's let's wrap this uh, this guy up. Let's talk about some of those things that are happening this week. Um, I was going to say if Indiana and Ohio State both won this week, that would be a top ten matchup. Uh, which could be Ohio State's biggest game of the year. Obviously, Ohio State's not playing, but they shouldn't drop out of the top 10. Don't really anticipate that. If Indiana wins, man, this could be a really big game for us next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, who, who would have thought Indiana would be our biggest game of the season? But I mean, it definitely helps the fact that Indiana still is playing well with Penn State and Michigan being so bad. Right. Um, Alabama, Texas A&M, Georgia, and Auburn also don't play this week. So, uh I think you wrote down here that comes out to eight total games canceled slash postponed. And uh, it's only Wednesday. So um, we should, we will see how that continues to go throughout the week. But what that translates to me is a lot of really good football has been taken off the table this week. Mm, Not a great slate this week. Important games too um, with um, as far as ranking implications go um, because Texas A&M not getting in there obviously could really hurt their uh, odds, but their their games postponed. So uh, yes, all SEC games were postponed because they were smart and built bye weeks in so they could adjust the schedule. <laughs> Unlike the Big Ten, um, you have trap game for Notre Dame against Boston College. You care to explain? Yeah, um, Notre Dame, known uh, known uh, team to kind of play down to the level of their competition. As you can see, Louisville, not a great team. They only beat them 12 to seven, and then they end up being Clemson. Right. Really big contrast between those two games. And I think coming off the big win against uh, Clemson, kind of a trap game for them. Boston College, five and three, I believe now. And one of the losses is to Clemson. They're a pretty solid team, and they're s- sneaky good that I think that they could – um, really challenge Notre Dame. Maybe not beat Notre Dame, but just give them a run for their money. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I didn't even see this game on the slate this week, but uh, Boston College played Clemson tough, uh, mm-hmm. really tough. So, you know, I, I, you know what? I agree. Trap game. That's a trap game. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's just something to watch. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good storyline for a week without a lot of storylines. Um, and then Wisconsin returning back to the field this week. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. I don't think it's – I think there's still a chance they don't play. Uh, I don't know if it's, like, solidified, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, yeah, I, I I really hope they play because um, – but I'm also worried because they will be playing with their fourth-string quarterback since Grammer has one more game that he has to sit out. So um, I'm kind of cheering for Wisconsin just because I want – uh, more competition in the Big Ten for Ohio State, mm-hmm. but and I also don't want Michigan to win because they yep. should fight Jim Harbaugh. But it, maybe it's just good for Ohio, Ohio State, so that's maybe a good thing. <laughs> for sure, um, 
Yeah, I think it'll be a really good game. Uh, Michigan sucks, and Wisconsin's another fourth-string quarterback. Uh, yeah. You can only imagine fireworks happening in this game. Uh, <laughs> we'll score a prediction like 14-21 to 21 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else uh, that you, you were – you know, burning to talk about. I know there's wasn't a whole lot to talk about. We talked about quite a bit. So uh, yeah, we we turned a, a an expect a podcast we expected to be short to be one of our longer ones. But yeah. there was a lot of really big storylines this week, and um, we're getting pretty close to the end of the season already. Uh, halfway through Ohio State's season, unfortunately. Okay. So getting close to the CP, it's getting really down into the nitty gritty of it. Um, but next week almost guaranteed will be a shorter one with uh, no game to talk about, but we will get more into that top 10 matchup between Indiana and Ohio state that we have next week. And uh, we'll go through the sad slate that we have this week and try to get the the big storylines that we can find out of that. Absolutely. Well, it was a pleasure. I appreciate you hopping on here with me. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll look forward to uh, getting ready for next week. Yep. I might not have a game this week, but I'll look forward to uh, good things that come out of practice. <laughs> stay, stay healthy and and uh, prepare for Indiana, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, go Bucks. Go Bucks. Go Bucks.